0: I am delighted to be joined this morning by old friend, journalist Mark Svets, who's been a journalist, activist, teacher, and self-appointed knight errant in Willimantic for the last forty-five years and counting. Another guy that came to this area from Western Connecticut, and he's stuck around. Mark, good morning. Thanks for joining me today. What is it about this neck of the woods that seems to float your boat?
1: Good morning, Wayne. Thank you. Um, I just find this to be a wonderful community, and um, as a reporter, as a uh, teacher, I've I've just had a lot of fun here.
0: So, what is it about Romantic, Willimatic that strikes your fancy?
1: Well, you know, I I came here as a student in the early seventies, nineteen seventy-two, and I, you know. I lived in Willimannock because the housing was cheap here, and um, and I had grown up in the country in the woods of northwestern Connecticut, and this urban experience of Willimannock just got, I don't know, it just got into my soul somehow.
0: It's funny you say that, because mine is just the opposite. I grew up in the concrete jungles of southern California, L.A., Glendale, and I came to this area for Yukon, well, actually, Trumbull, in Yukon. And I like this because it was not the concrete jungle. Yet you are portraying romantic Willimantic as a big city. Uh, How do you do that?
1: Well, it's it's not exactly a big city. Uh, you know, Sarah Winter, my wife and I lived in Manhattan for a uh, few years uh, recently, and um, that's a big city. Uh, Willowmank is a it's a small city where you can walk from one end to the other, and you can see people you know, and you talk. And you know, when I walk down Main Street, I I find that it might take me an hour to get to walk ten minutes because. I see people I know and, and that I like to talk to, and that's really, I guess that's the urban experience that I'm talking about is having people all around and being able to walk to to do most of my business.
0: And I can vouch for that because there are times when I see Mark Svets walking right there outside my window on the brick sidewalk, usually walking to the east, by the way. Nonetheless, you like to just walk around the town and appreciate what's going on, and when you're home, you like to listen to WILI in the morning, especially Wayne and John, but I would like you to tell the story about the radio that you listen to us on
1: Oh uh, yeah um a few uh, a couple of months ago a friend of mine was lightening her load a little bit uh carol silva and uh she had this wind up radio that you know it doesn't need a battery it has a little dynamo inside and i found that if i wound it for you know two minutes i could listen to wayne norman in the morning for 20 minutes and uh, it it kind of got me back in the habit of listening to the radio i used to only listen when i drove and since i don't drive much i i was out of the habit of listening to the radio but i'm back into it now and it was that little dynamo
0: radio that got me there So in other words, after 20 minutes, you have to crank it up again? I wind it again and go for another 20. Wow. So you wrote a whole column about that and also how you were listening to to Wayne and John at 9 o'clock talking about one day when it was International Peace Day, and John was talking about how on the vinyl frontier he would be playing songs that had to do with peace. And he has some interesting themes. We promote them at 9 o'clock. He plays them at 11. But that particular show really struck a chord with you, didn't it?
1: It, it sure did you know i i um as a as a teenager i um, I got involved in the anti war movement back in torrington connecticut where where I had lived uh for most of my life at that time and uh you know it was it really changed my life. I met people that i I never knew existed and and I, uh, got involved in things that just really excited me and Of course, you know I also had very strong feelings about the war in Vietnam, and and that was a contentious time. And you know, it had the passion of youth and the passion of a cause. And those songs that John played that morning just—it seemed to bring all that passion right back. You know, as a seventy-year-old, I look back, and I sometimes it's hard to muster the passion I had back then. But um, those songs helped
0: helped a lot. That means a lot to us because you do try to connect with a listener. You're not really broadcasting to, you're not thinking about broadcasting to like tons of people. You try to make a one-on-one connection with a listener. And boy, we, especially John, really did that for you back on that day. When did the journalism bug first hit you? Um (laughs) <laughs> honestly when I graduated
1: from UConn with a degree in history and I had intentions to go to law school but I had really had enough of uh... school at that point and you know I looked around and 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 saw that uh, there were jobs out there in in journalism that uh... you know I'd been an avid reader of the paper and uh, of course I followed journalism that way well I got a job with the Chronicle um... uh... covering chaplain I believe as a correspondent and uh... I went from there to the Norwich Bulletin, then came back to the Chronicle, and, uh, and it was just really for me, it's all about the people. Um, when, when I worked at the Chronicle, I would, I would start up at, uh, Benny's and stop in and say hi to Manny at Dunkin' Donuts and stop in at Town Hall where the police station was at that time and, uh, walk down the street, say hi to Jim Sullivan in Jim's spot. I mean, I could go all the way down and, and, So to me, it was all about the people in Willimantic. And again, that's just kind of that love affair that I've had with this, this tiny city.
0: I love that story, and I kind of feel the same way about this, my new adopted hometown here as well. From your days as a reporter, Chronicle Bulletin, were there a couple of stories that you covered that stand out that you want to tell us about?
1: Well, yeah, there'd been a, a, a lot of them. Um, you know, the I left the Chronicle just after the, um, the city of Willamette and the town of Wyndham um, voted to consolidate their two governments, and of course that had been an ongoing story for all of the years I worked at the Chronicle. I
0: think that was 1983.
1: 1981. It was um, in August of that year. They had a special election and a special vote, and the and consolidation forces won. And I felt like at that point um, an issue was finished, and I could leave the Chronicle and go, move on to something else. But so that was a big story. I also I witnessed a uh, former police officer, John Knight, shot. Um, I was standing ten feet away from him when he was shot to death in Danielson, and had to phone in a story by deadline um, to cover that event. So there have been a lot of pretty exciting and moving stories. Um, it's You know, it's a great, being a journalist, as you know, Wayne, is a great job. Um, you, get to, you get to learn something new every day, and I really love that.
0: And now you write for the Neighbors newspaper, which people can pick up at various locations around town. How did that connection come about?
1: Well, Tom King, is, uh, he's a publisher of Neighbors and has been publishing it for almost 20 years now, continuously. Um, he is a man about town. I just ran into him, got to know him. Sarah and I were had a little shop on Main Street where we sold some of the clothes we made at this time. I think that was in the uh, late 90s. Um, No, that was in 2006. I'm sorry, I got those dates wrong. But anyway, I ran into Tom, and and he was telling me what he was doing. And I was really interested in the the idea of a community newspaper like that. And he said, you know, write an article. I'm happy to have it. So I did, and um, that was in 2007. And uh, I've been writing basically every month since then. I miss a few when I, uh, especially during a pandemic, I don't get out to see people so much. So stories are fewer and farther between.
0: And one of the stories that you wrote about had to do with the early days of the boombox parade. And you have kind of a personal connection to that because of your friendship with Kathy Clark, the parade mama, and her late husband, Kathy, of course, not with us either, but her late husband, Tony Clark. Tell us your boombox parade and your Kathy and Tony Clark connection.
1: Well, you know, Tony and Kath, they were um, really uh, dynamic, active people. They saw everything as a possibility, and they had a big family. And for a long time in my life here in Willamannock I felt like I was a part of that family. And Tony was my best friend and running buddy for 30 years. Um, We, um, it was uh, the boombox parade, really. Kathleen, she has such a... I know she had I think of her sometimes as like the mother for willimantic but she uh she had this great idea cuz the par- you know they were into pipe and drum and uh, one parade had to be canceled cuz we couldn't find a band and and we just we just thought that was that was bad that we we needed to have the parade and uh Cass came up with this idea we were all sitting around a restaurant one night and She came up with that idea, and I believe you and Colin Rice were both instrumental in putting that idea into into practice. Um, And look at it now, uh, thirty five years later, thirty six years later.
0: Yeah, it was our thirty sixth if you count the virtual year last year. But it's funny that you say that and that you wrote about it, Mark, because I'll admit that when I first got this concept presented to us to me by Kathy Clark I didn't buy it I wasn't sure it was going to work and as I like to say that I went by the formation area two hours before that first parade in 86 and there was nobody there Memorial Park and I said wasn't this a good idea but my role in that and the radio station's role in that was to explain to promote the concept well, that first parade went 44 minutes, so apparently the, the communication, the publicity, I mean, some of that was print, some of that was the Chronicle and the newspapers. Another thing that was a key factor in the early success of the boombox parade, we had to have all these organizational meetings to make sure that we promoted it in the proper way. Well, an Associated Press national writer got wind of this. She not only wrote about it, but she sat in with us in our organizational meeting. So she ran a story that ran nationwide before the parade. Look what this town in Connecticut is doing. And then she wrote a story about the parade afterwards, and it ran not just nationally but internationally. I have a story, a copy of a story from Guatemala in my office right now, and your story, what was the was it New Zealand? You, you said that Kathy picked up another one from overseas as well.
1: Australia. She got someone sent her an article from Australia about that, that the parade.
0: So our role had to do not just with the soundtrack, but also the publicity and explaining the concept. And I also enjoyed from the story that you wrote, you kind of flashed back to something that connected with me in that first parade. When we played the soundtrack in that first parade, we played it off a cassette tape in a cassette recorder. And you wrote about the origin of that cassette tape. Do tell. Well, you know,
1: Tony and Kath again, they were music people. They they sang in uh, all over. They were invited to pubs on Saint Patrick's Day to sing and uh they were just music people and um, they had a great cl- collection of records and uh you know, Tony sat around making that um geez, that that was he had some time making that tape and uh I don't know. There's a lot of details of that I can't actually remember right now, Wayne. But it was quite—it was quite quite a time time he had putting that together.
0: Well, that tape ended up becoming a CD, which is now digitally inserted into our computer, and that is how it played. In your story about listening to Wayne and John, I used this at the beginning of our interview today, you said self-appointed knight, I said errant, I bet that's errant, but nonetheless, I don't know what that means. So could you explain what a self-appointed knight errant in Willimantic is?
1: Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, Tony had a pickup truck. Um, This was back in the early, no, mid, early 80s. And we knew, Kathleen at the time worked for the Housing Authority um, running the Section 8 program. And um, we had a lot of, she knew a lot of people who were moving and couldn't afford to hire movers or they didn't have the vehicles or whatever. So she signed Tony and me up to help people move. And it became this thing where we would. We would move people um, on short notice. We, you know, Tony's fallen apart. Pickup truck would rumble up to the front of the house, and we'd carry furniture down like fools and load it up and carry it to someplace else. And uh, you know, it was really it was a for us again for me the people of Willowmanic. This was always a part of being in the neighborhood and being around people. And um, there was one instance where the Immaculata Retreat House had they had replaced all their beds. So they had all these mattresses to give away, and they called Tony and Mark to see if we had any, could find a home for them. Well, we stacked probably 10 or 12 mattresses at a time on Tony's truck and drove through some of the neighborhoods, Union Street, Milk Street. At one point, I jumped up on the back of the truck and stood on the mattresses and called out if anybody wanted a mattress, and people would yell out from the third story, yeah, bring one up, and we would march it up the stairs. Anyway, we had a lot of fun with it, so... Being a night errant, I guess, was just being available to,
0: to do things that needed to be done. And you do them well, which is why we've got you on the radio this morning. Going back to the parade soundtrack and the changing of technology, tell me about how journalism technology has changed in your years.
1: When I started working as a reporter, Wayne, I, um, I filed my stories on copy paper, typed on a manual typewriter. We didn't even have electric typewriters. And, uh, that's the way we did it when I left in the early 80s. Um, there were, there were these myths out there that they, were, that this was all gonna be electronic, that you would type it into a computer and the com, you know, the editor would get it and it would, ne- nobody would ever handle paper. And I thought, oh my god, you have to be kidding. But that's, you know, it's come to that now. Everything is, everything is done digitally. Um, which is something I don't really know very much about because I uh, I've never worked in a modern newsroom. When I left the Chronicle, that was the last newsroom I was in and we were as I said still using manual typewriters.
0: Speaking of which, many of your columns are available on the web and you don't put them up. Who puts them up, Mark? <laughs> well,
1: my wife Sarah has been putting them up, although she's really trying to get me to do it, so I'm learning. Um, but, yeah, she puts them up for me very generously, and I'm very happy that she does.
0: Well, you've got a website called Willimantic Now and Then, and the website is com. And, Mark, full disclosure, the last column that was posted is December 2020. Is somebody asleep at the switch?
1: Somebody is definitely asleep at asleep at the switch. This, as I was saying, Sarah's trying to get me to do it, and I'm a little um, I'm a little slow to get started. But uh, actually, this the coming of this interview kind of motivated me to um, I'm going to start doing that uh, pretty soon. So there will be more recent articles up there
0: soon. Good because we want to see that article about Wayne Norman and John Tuitt on that uh, website as well. The one we referred to this morning. Hey, Mark, it was great catching up with you. Tremendous stories, and I appreciate. Your love for this town after coming here from Torrington and thank you for joining me this morning.
1: Thank you, Wayne. It's great to talk to you.
0: Longtime local journalist Mark Svetz.